Hi there friends, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Broadcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You're very welcome to join us, either today, or you can consider if you're here for the first time, maybe go back a few days and pick up from season two, which is covering the Gospel of Matthew. You can, if you wish, even go right back to the start and play catch up for a little while and join us in this entire journey through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over the next five years or so. A quick word if you really are here for the first time, I'd like to just tell you that a full transcript of everything I say is always available in the episode notes of the podcast, along with other ways you can connect to my ministry and the teachings that I make available. Everything I do is in the public domain. It's yours to use with my blessing in whatever way you want. You can use the text to create your own messages or in any way with your personal study or even in any ministry that you might be doing. Please use it and there's no need to even credit it. Today we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew and we'll be looking at a story which is familiar to many at Christmas time but It's a good message for any time. And we'll be looking at the story of the wise men and how they seek Jesus the Messiah and what that may mean for us today. So climb aboard and we'll head off in a moment and let's enjoy this journey together. I'll see you at the end and just give you an update of a few things. Bye for now. Hi friends, welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Broadcast and today we're launching off in a new section and we're going to spend a couple of days just looking at this story familiar to many around Christmas time but some real useful truths to pick up at any time of the year and it's the story of the wise men as they seek the Messiah. And for the next couple of days, I'll be looking at and looking to see about what it can teach us about how we too can have a wise approach to life. Now, there are several ways anyone can choose to approach the story of Jesus. One could choose to say, you know what? It's just a story. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to enjoy my life. But you just say, life's just here for the living. Have fun. And it's just a story. So you just spend your life, spend your time, spending money and hope that you don't get messed up financially or emotionally. So as far as Jesus goes, you can seek him, you can approach him, you can investigate him, but you can then choose to ignore him. That is, if I may be so bold to say, is not a very smart approach to life. Now another not so smart way to approach this story on the surface might appear to be a more spiritual one. That is to try and live a religious life. Maybe even go to church. Take part in churchy religious stuff. But that in turn can lead to you just turning holy days into holidays. 
You know how it works. The world does it. It substitutes Santa Claus for Jesus. And there are lots of people who approach not only life in that way, but they approach the Messiah, the story of Jesus, in that way also. So those are two possible ways you can choose to approach the story of the Messiah, choose to approach how you live your life. But in my estimation, neither of those ways are very smart. But there is in this case, these people who are described as wise men, and we can see how they seek to approach the story, how they approach the story of the coming Messiah, and we can see how wise men indeed seek Jesus the Messiah. So what I'd like to do today is begin to look at this very familiar story, one of which I'm sure most of you know, but one actually that poses a lot of questions some of which I'm going to talk about. But this is the story of some men, described as wise men, men who are said to be wise, who are seeking the Messiah. I believe the story can illustrate for us how we too should seek the Lord in a wise way. And I take that from the fact that the way the wise men in the Gospel of Matthew did it is definitely worth investigating. Because interwoven into the story are some really helpful insights for us to take on board. But also interwoven into the story are a number of questions that just naturally present themselves as we work through it. For example, who were the wise men? Where did they come from? And what about this star business? What was that about? Was it a natural phenomenon or was it a supernatural phenomenon? So what I'd like to do is to tell you the story And I'd like to move through the verses as I normally do, one verse at a time. But as we move through the story, I'd also like to answer some of those questions that raise up out of it. Questions that often come up when the story is told. And often come up when people who aren't believers read it and questions are raised out of it in their mind. And I'd like us to find out if any of the spiritual truths that these wise men were seen to seek, do they still apply to us today? So with that in mind, let's begin the story, and it begins in verse 1, where it says, Behold, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. I want to focus on this first verse for a second. Just the first verse. Notice it says, Behold, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. So here's the first point. Did you know that there were two Bethlehems at this time? One of them was about seven miles north of Nazareth, and it was where Jesus grew up. And then there was also Bethlehem of Judea, which was about five miles from Jerusalem, much closer to Jerusalem. So Matthew here is being careful to point out which Bethlehem he's actually talking about. Only he's not doing this just to tell us and to point out that there were two Bethlehem and that one of them's next to Jerusalem, he's saying it's Bethlehem of Judea because he knows, he wants to tell the reader, that this is the Bethlehem about which the Old Testament prophesied the Messiah would come from. So that's more important than the fact that there were two Bethlehems. He's saying specifically that this Bethlehem of Judea, the events occurring there, are the same as the events prophesied in the Old Testament. Look at verse 1 again. You see, he begins by saying, Behold. In other words, he's saying, Pay attention to this. 
Behold, wise men from the east, he says. And by use of the word behold, which appears in most good translations of Matthew, it draws attention to the fact that he wants us to focus on these wise men. He wants us to stop and consider them for a moment. He wants us to carefully examine these wise men and think about who they were and where they come from. So maybe that's exactly what we should do for a moment. He tells us they are wise men from the east. So what is that about? Well, the Greek word translated wise men in this verse and in some translations is translated with the single word magicians or magi. So they were magicians of sorts, it seems. Now, what that means is that they were people who were involved in some sort of religious supernatural ceremonies. It also says they were from the east. Now, to try and explain what that means and where that is talking about is a little bit elusive. Where is the East? Now, as you can imagine, if you go to the commentaries and the Bible exports, they will come up with all kinds of different speculations. Some say it's Persia being referred to here, because back in those days in Persia, astrology was indeed part of the religious system. Some other experts suggest they were from Arabia, but others say no, no, because that's more south than east. And other traditions, for which there is little real evidence, not only give these guys names, but they also give them three separate different locations as where they're from. Probably the best guess in my estimation is that they were from Babylon. Babylon also had an astrology-based religion system at that time, and these guys were obviously interested and experts in studying the stars and the heavens. And there are some other reasons why one might consider they probably came from Babylon. For one thing, at this particular time in history, there was an idea that the Messiah was about to come, and it was felt across many cultures that time, but the source of that messianic hope was always directly linked back to the book of Daniel and the events in Babylon. Let me quote you a few scholars who studied this and said things like this. One that I read said, The idea of some kind of Messiah was in the air throughout the whole civilised world. Another said, There is evidence for an expectation of a coming universal king, and that expectation was abundant. And another records that, Ancient authors said this, the world was an eagerness of expectation for the coming of the Messiah. However, we have to admit that from the east could be anywhere east of Jerusalem. And the truth of the matter is that the whole world, not only the whole region, the whole world, had some sort of expectation that a Messiah, a universal king, was indeed coming. And by examining some of the ancient writings, we can determine that there was an expectation of what historians used to call the messianic hope. But there's another bit of information here, and I personally think that this is particularly significant. When the children of Israel were exiled and were taken into captivity into Babylon, one of those men was a young man named Daniel, and we're told his story in the book of Daniel. And if we look at that, and I quote, we can see that he was given the role of, and I quote, chief administrator of all the wise men of Babylon. Now that's interesting. Isn't it interesting that Daniel was made chief administrator over, quote, the wise men? 
That's in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. And it is the exact grammatical term used in the original language in Daniel that is being used again here. Now, I have to accept that that's just a theory, and that's all it is. So we can't be dogmatic about this, but some traditions and Bible experts would say that these men were from Babylon. They were astrologers, and that fits, but there's little or no information in the book of Daniel about what these supposed wise men did. But Daniel chapter 9 points out that the Messiah would one day come. So while it's a guess, it's an estimation, and I have no absolute proof, I personally, on the opinion, and I think it's a pretty good guess, that these wise men were in fact from Babylon. It was, remember, the book of Daniel and Daniel himself which very much planted the seed of the messianic hope, prophesying about the time of the Messiah and how he would come and spread the kingdom to become a sort of universal ruler. And that idea spread throughout the civilized world. And Christians still today very much turn to the book of Daniel in reaching an insight and understanding of the second coming of the Messiah and it's also very helpful and used in tandem with interpreting the book of Revelation. Now on top of that there is also this thing described as a star. These wise men see this star and recognize it as a sign of the coming Messiah and they know probably from the book of Daniel, that they've got to get to the Palestine region in general. In fact, they've got to get to Jerusalem in particular. At this point, that's all they knew, of course. And that brings us to the next verse, verse 2, which says, And they asked, so having travelled there, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So that brings up this question of, what is this star? What is it and what's it about? Well, there's all kinds of speculations about that also. One is not that it was a star, that it was in fact a comet. Experts say that there was actually a comet that flew by Earth in approximately 10 BC. However, we have to admit that that's a little far out for it to be a reference to the birth of Christ. Another theory is that it was the conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn that would have come together in the sky and produced what looked like a very extra bright star. And that was what, in fact, they saw those days. And sure enough, we can't figure out from astronomy that those two planets lined up, but the date of that conjunction is 7 BC. And that is a little far out for it to be a reference to the birth of Christ. Experts have calculated, and we now know that our calendars are a little off today, and that Christ was, in fact, born in what we would today call, not in year one or year zero, but maybe as far back as 3 or 4 BC. But none of these explanations of these astronomical events quite fit the facts. So whilst on the one hand it is entirely possible that God could have chosen to bring forth the Messiah to match these preordained astronomical events, I personally don't believe that explanation. And whilst it is true that these events could have taken place three or four or even longer before the actual arrival of the Messiah, I personally don't believe that quite fits with the text and I don't believe that's the explanation. But what we do know is what is described as a star appeared and these wise men knew, perhaps from knowing the book of Daniel, that this was a sign. So they followed the star and moved towards Bethlehem near Jerusalem. 
but apparently the star temporarily disappears at this point. So when they meet Herod, it will appear again, and they will follow it again from there to Jerusalem. So there appears to be a sort of appearing and a disappearing and a reappearing. Furthermore, the fact that this star is said to stand over a city suggests to me that this can't be some sort of astronomical phenomenon, but leads me to the conclusion that this is no ordinary event. It seems to me that this is in fact a supernatural phenomenon. And they're calling it a star because that's how they're seeing it on the ground. But it is moving and guiding them from east to west. Perhaps Babylon to Jerusalem and later then from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Verse 3 continues the narrative. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So they come to Jerusalem and they say to Herod, Where is he that is born the king of the Jews? Now notice they're going to a king and they're asking him, Where is this newborn king born? Do you see any possible potential for tension here? Well, let me tell you the rest of the story and what's going to happen. This is only the beginning and we're going to unpack this further. But what you need to know at this point is you need to know about this fellow Herod, what this guy Herod and what he was really like. And this is backed up not only in the biblical text, but elsewhere we know that when Herod heard these things, he was troubled. But notice it says, all Jerusalem with him. Now we might understand why he was troubled, but why was Jerusalem also troubled? The Greek word actually translated troubled means disturbed, stirred up, confused and fearful. So this is describing a rather serious situation and as you will find for very good reason. Let me explain. You see we know quite a bit about Herod and we know about him from secular sources as well as the biblical scriptures and we know that he was one very cruel character. One non-biblical scholar of his day called him an ill-tempered tyrant Another said he was continually agitated with jealousy and the fear of a competitor. Another one described him as insanely superstitious. But let me tell you how bad it really was and how bad it could get. This guy was so superstitious and paranoid that he had his wife's mother murdered. He also murdered his eldest son and then later two other sons just in case they plotted to usurp him. And as a matter of fact, he was actually married nine times. There's one ancient author called Macrobius who said, and I quote, you were safer being Herod's pig than his son. Now you've got to understand the power of this statement if you understand the fact that Herod was half Jewish and that Jews felt pigs were unclean. So the conclusion was here, even if you were a pig, you were better off being a pig in the land at the time of Herod than being one of his children. So for someone to come and say, where's the new king to this superstitious, murderous, paranoid king would indeed, of course, make the whole city nervous. So what's he going to do? Well, we pick up the story next time and we'll see where this drama will lead us. Okay, friends, I hope you find that interesting and that you will find it helpful. 
we'll continue to unpack this story over the next couple of days. And I hope you'll stay with us on this journey. And like I said, if you're here for the first time, then why not consider committing to making the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life? Join with us on this journey. Subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts from. Within the episode notes of this episode, and all the episodes in fact, there's always a transcript of everything I've said, as well as links to ways in which you can connect with my ministry, my teaching, or even partner of the ministry, so you wish. Extra teaching resources are available there. I have recently completed a discipleship course, which initially was made available to some Christians in Pakistan, who I think others might benefit from it more widely, which is basically my attempt to give people a guide to preaching. Preaching the Word of God, but approaching it from an expositional point of view. In other words, preaching directly out of the text, within the context of the passage, pretty much like what I do every day with the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You're welcome to access those 12 sessions on video format available on my Patreon page. You don't have to become an actual supporter to access the files or on my LinkedIn page, all of which the links are available in the episode notes. The first one is available right now, and I'll be putting a weekly episode live for the next 12 weeks on Patreon, YouTube, and my LinkedIn page. So if you feel that God has called you to preach and teach from the Word of God, and you're not particularly experienced, then you might find something of what I say a little bit helpful. So take it, use it with my blessing. But other than that, that's it for today. If you are benefiting from spending time in the Word of God every day, then why not share what you're benefiting from it with others by liking it or sharing it on your social media pages, allowing more people to access this teaching every day, allowing more people to make the decision to commit to studying the Bible every day. But that's it for today. I do hope I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, it's tomorrow for me, whatever day we open up the next episode with the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.